So whenever you have stress, trauma, or overuse, the resultant inflammation alters the communication between the nervous system and the muscle system so that the muscles can't contract as, as efficiently. And so when they can't contract efficiently, they can't do their job to stabilize joints and protect you from injury. Hi, I'm Lauren Parsons. And I'm Andy Jackson, and this is the All Well Co podcast. Dive deep with us as leading experts share their unique perspectives on topics such as recovery, sleep, movement, and the latest innovations in the space. On today's episode, we sit down with Greg Roscoff, the innovator behind muscle activation techniques, or MAT. With a journey marked by personal adversity and professional triumph, Greg shares his profound insights into the world of strength, conditioning, and muscular health. Well, I am so excited today that I have got Greg Roscoff, the owner and developer of Muscle Activation Techniques, MAT, with us. Um, we'll get into what MAT is in a minute, Greg, but I, I was trying to think earlier. It, it's got to be 30 plus years that you and I have known each other. And I don't know if you remember this, but obviously back in the day, you used to come over and present at our conferences at FitPro in the UK. And you were one of the experts that allowed me to sell the most tickets to the conference. So thank you for that. You helped me from an early, uh, from an early, uh, from an early day. Um, I, was, I was reading your, um, your intro that you sent me, uh, which was fascinating. And I think you know that I've had a few heart issues this year. I've had a heart surgery right. and through the years we've, we've had some health issues, but when I was reading your intro, it was fascinating to read that, you know, obviously MAT is a unique process that addresses the whole muscular systems for chronic pain and injury. But I was fascinated to find out that you developed this process after fracturing your vertebrae when you were 19. Really right. interesting. Yeah, it's, um, <laughs> it's funny because I would have never went down the path if I, if I didn't have the injury. I mean, I didn't understand injuries at the time. And um, I was a strength and conditioning coach at Fresno State. And uh, so I knew the, I mean, the strength side of it, the, the working out side of it. But when, it was interesting because when I was at Fresno State, if someone was injured as a strength coach working with the football, basketball, actually every sport, when they got injured, they went to the training room. And then when they were healthy, they came back to strength and conditioning. So there was no correlation with us as strength coaches with, with injuries. But in my own personal injury, I started looking at that side of it and trying to gain an understanding of the muscle system's impact on chronic pain and injury. And if I didn't have the injury, I would have never went down that path. Yeah, it's fascinating. I've been the same this year with the whole heart thing. I never thought I would get all of these blood tests. I had an EEG done. I've, I've had an ablation. I've had all this sort of stuff. You know, you think you're invincible till you get right. a certain level. And of course, now I've read every article i've studied everything and uh yeah it's, it's fascinating how it affects you um yeah yeah so so i want to dive a little bit deeper into these into these days that you're talking about at fresno state and just what i'll call the pre-mat days um so i i was a college athlete back in the day i think i think you know that and first started my career out in the fitness and sport world and you know i've always been intrigued by the different paths people take in this field. And, you know, I'll certainly never claim to be an expert in anything, but I, I definitely do personally understand the, the value that physical activity has in shaping someone's life journey as it has mine. So I, you've previously mentioned your passion for, for working out um, without having a, a clear career path in mind. So can you talk us through those early days? What were you up to and what did working out mean to you back then? Yeah, it's funny because, I mean, I played football in college of 17 years of football, and that was kind of, I'll be honest with you, it was the only reason I went to college. I was not a good student. Uh, my sisters and brothers were all engineers, and and I was I was kind of the black sheep of the family. <laughs> I, had, I mean, a, I mean, C grade point average in high school, and if I didn't play football, I probably wouldn't have went to college. And, and so I went to my uh, small college in Iowa that my high school and, and the Catholic high school coach recruited 19 of us from Western New York. And so I, I was always um, more in the sport side of it. And I always loved working out from the time I was about 14 or 15. I had a little gym in my basement. And that was the one thing that I always had a passion for is, is working out. And so then, I mean, we're playing football. I mean, that became a big part of it. And I just kept getting, I mean, bigger and stronger and, and with the workouts. And, 
And, um, and then I mean, had my injury uh, when I was 19 years old, I fell, I was working at a rock quarry and I fell off a rock and fell 20 feet and landed on my butt and had a, a compression fracture of L5 vertebrae. But I didn't, I didn't know that there was a fracture because they kind of just kept me safe and put me in the van and I mean, still went to work every day, but I wasn't able, it was a hard job jackhammering and splitting rocks. It was the hardest job I ever had. Uh, but that was my workout. That was to get me in shape for, for football. And then I, um, uh, having the fractured vertebrae, went back and, I mean, tried to play football, got carried off in a stretcher and, and just missed a year and then came back the following year and, I mean, was still working out the whole time, but I wore weight belts and um, knee wraps and I had orthotics and uh, I had all these artificial forms of stability. And what I realize now that I didn't understand then is I had strength, but I didn't have stability. I mean, in college, I was bench pressing 400 pounds, squatting 500 pounds. So I was strong, but I was in chronic pain. And, and that gave me a whole different look coming from it is, is, I mean, one, why was I in so much pain? And after the fractured vertebrae due to compensatory mechanisms, that's what started patellofemoral syndrome, plantar fasciitis, SI joint dysfunction, uh, literally one, in, one injury after another. And so... I, I realized that everything that I was doing, I was compensating. Um, I, you start shortening range of motion. And, and like you have, well, like I said, you have artificial forms of, of stability. And, and so early on, um, I mean, I, 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 well, I, going back to your question, I got the job as a strength coach at Fresno State, and that was the only thing that kept me in school. Uh, I got the job as a strength coach, and I um, did some work with the, the physiology department, and we would take all the athletes over and get max VO2s and anaerobic threshold testing. And, and the guys that were running the physiology lab were in the, in the master's program, and I became friends with them, and I didn't want them to know what I didn't know. And so, um, because I, I mean, I got the job as a strength coach because I sacrificed my year of eligibility in football and I just ended up taking that job, but I didn't have to go to school. I had already graduated with an undergraduate degree. And as far as I was concerned, I was done. And, um, but then I realized if I'm in this field, I can't let people know what I don't know. And I ended up going on and getting my master's and, and, um, and just start, I mean, just kind of went on a path that I could have never planned. And one thing, if I didn't have the fracture vertebrae, I probably would have never went on. I mean, I, would, I wasn't even going to continue school when I couldn't play football. And then my coach came to me and said, there's a job opening at Fresno State. Are you interested as a strength coach? Because he knew I love working out. And so it just things just laid out in a way that led me to being a strength coach, then due to intimidation to get my master's. And, and at this point in time, I still didn't really know my direction, but I knew one thing is I love working out. And that's the, that's the thing. It's ironic because it's still part of what led me to the development of MAT and what is a part of my practice in MAT um, every day. I have a whole room full of exercise equipment here. So it, it's if it wasn't for my passion for working out, I, I don't know what my career would be. We share the same. Our lifestyles have been the same. For sure. Exactly the same. That's for how sure. our career has got there. I mean, I, I went into London Central YMCA, helped teach anatomy and physiology, and, and I was just a failed professional soccer player. You know, I didn't make right. it. And I suddenly fell into the same thing. So I think we followed some of the same paths. Yeah, 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 for sure. And and to build off of that a little bit, you know, I've I've certainly altered the way that I've trained many times throughout my life just to meet different goals, challenges. Maybe I'm nursing an injury, you know, whatever the case may be. But but your approach to physical fitness and health is is really unique, and it seems foundational to your success. Um, it, it just goes beyond what many of us mm -hmm. consider. Do you want to dive a little bit deeper into your approach to fitness and health and, and maybe yeah. how you perceive the body, the human body differently than most? Yeah. And, and so the first thing is, is when I had the fracture vertebrae and I having all these injuries and I'm like, what's wrong with me? I mean, 25 years old, I had chronic pain. And I was thinking, what am I going to be like when I'm 50? And, and so as I'm working with athletes, I started paying attention more to the people that weren't getting better, like the athletes that were kind of the ones that were always in the training room. And they, um, I mean, everyone thought that they were wimps and they, they were always injured. And, uh, and 
um, hypochondriacs. And, and I'm like, well, that was me. I mean, and I, I, I mean, now I had knee pain and then I'd wake up and my back would hurt. And then my next day, I, my foot would hurt. And I had all these varying pains and I didn't understand. And from a strength and conditioning side, people get bigger, faster and stronger. And that's the whole goal. But there are certain people that don't. And especially, I mean, at college age level, you know, that's just expected. And so I started paying attention to the people that were getting injured and the people that weren't having the success with the strength and conditioning. So I started looking at it from that perspective that maybe we're missing something. Um, when, when in that environment, when you do everything right, um, it's, it's pretty easy. Uh, and you don't actually have to do everything right. And, uh, and but the people that fail, you just kind of throw them by the wayside and you have excuses of why they're not they're not doing well with the program. And so because of my own personal injuries, I paid attention more to that. And I started looking at like even myself, like, why am I so tight? Um, every everyone I learned from and um, as I sought out biomechanics and trying to understand the body, everyone I learned from the focus on the looking at injuries and chronic pain was, well, it's because of muscle tightness. And so whether it was chiropractic, physical therapy, I um, mean, podiatry and the massage, uh, people in every field to exercise. I mean, you do everything to loosen up the tissues from chiropractic adjustments to deep tissue work, the mobilizations, foam rolling. I mean, the whole goal of, of every modality that I was learning or every specialist that I was learning from is tightness is the cause of weakness. And if you understand biomechanics, you could have tightness in one area and it could put increased stress in other joints and tissue. So I started understanding this intrinsic, I mean, this basically interconnected system. And, um, but at that point I was a range of motion focused functional, functional movement, range of motion specialist. And so I did a lot of functional training and I did a lot of, I had all the modalities to, to improve range of motion. I was doing mobilizations and deep tissue, PNF stretching. I had every technique out there. And the problem was, was every time I would stretch or get deep tissue massage, I couldn't get out of bed the next day because I'd have numbness and sciatica down into my big toe. And so then I was like, well, why am I so tight? Like what, what caused me to be this tight? And, and is this tightness the cause or is it a, a symptom of some underlying problem? And, and then being exposed to, uh, actually I got hired as a biomechanic specialist by the Utah Jazz through the end of the Stockton Malone era. And I was exposed to work with the team chiropractor and he did uh, clinical kinesiology and he exposed me to manual muscle testing. And, and literally when I started looking at the muscle test, I really didn't know where it fit and anything that I did in the cl clinical kinesiology, they press acupuncture points and reflex points. And it was all out of the scope of what I knew, what I understood, and, and especially out of the scope of the biomechanical background. And so, um, but one day I was stretching John Stockton and when I got done stretching him, he Bueller went back, the chiropractor went back and tested muscles that were strong prior to me, to me increasing his range of motion. And he tested the muscles and he was now weak. And he literally said to me, what did you just do? And I'm, oh, that's a voice I hear in my ear in my whole life is what did you just do? And I'm like, well, I mean, I loosened them up and I'm, and then, but I thought of it, weakness can't be a good thing. And so I just created a neuromuscular weakness that I didn't understand um, that I'm like, well, if I just made them weak, I mean, maybe I'm violating a protective mechanism. So I went on and I bought all these muscle testing books that Alan Beard, all the developer of clinical kinesiology created. And I started playing around. I was flying back and forth from Fresno, California to Utah. And I started playing around with the muscle testing and seeing that, man, every place there's a limitation in range of motion. If I test for isolated weaknesses, there's, there's correlating muscle weaknesses. And so I thought, well, maybe this tightness is part of a protection due to this instability. Because anytime I would stretch or increase the range of motion, they could be strong in the range of motion they had. But once they increased their range of motion, now they had mobility without stability. They would test weak in a, in a greater range of motion. And, and so I literally, that was my first shift in thought process as this range of motion functional movement specialist. All of a sudden I realized the body, I mean, knows how to protect itself and kind of like walking on ice. The first thing we do when you walk on ice is you tighten up as a protection. So the natural neurological response is when the body senses instability, 
it's going to tighten up and protect. And so what I realized was this tightness was due to this extra, I mean, and, and with the walking on ice, it's the external surface or extrinsic environment that causes the instability. When you have muscle inhibition, the muscles can't fire and they can't fire on demand and then they can't do their job to stabilize joints. So you have an instability issue that the this internal protective mechanism is the same as walking on ice is I'm going to tighten up and protect because I'm not going to, going to allow you to move in to positions of instability. So everything that I learned up to that point about range of motion and all the techniques to try and increase range of motion, I started proving wrong. And the way that I started proving wrong was that I had manual muscle testing to be able to determine, did I have a, with the work that I just did, did it have a positive or a negative effect? If I stretched somebody and I tested their muscles through a greater range of motion and they maintain that range or that strength, then it's like, well, that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It's actually a good thing. But what I was finding is most of the time, if there was protective tightening, if they had a limitation in range of motion, it was because there was this muscle inhibition or muscle weakness. And I'd stretch them out, go through the, the stretches, increase the range of motion, and then I'd test and find ranges of motion that were unstable. So then I had to make them stable through that newfound range of motion. And so I literally realized there was a paradigm shift in my whole thought process, that muscle tightness was the result of muscle weakness, i.e. muscle inhibition. And so whenever you have stress, trauma, or overuse, the resultant inflammation alters the communication between the nervous system and the muscle system so that the muscles can't contract as, as efficiently. And so when they can't contract efficiently, they can't do their job to stabilize joints and protect you from injury. Well, the weakest point in when you have muscle inhibition is the shortened position of the muscle. Well, the shortened position of the muscle is the lengthened position of the antagonist muscle. And so the lengthened position or the, the opposite muscle tightens up to not allow you to move in that, in, into that range of motion that's unstable. And then I started realizing there's a whole, I mean, we're missing the boat on range of motion. You can have mobility without stability. And anytime you have mobility without stability, you have vulnerability for injury. So the body knows to tighten up to protect itself. So the range of motions that it has, it's stable through. And so my shift was wherever you see a limitation in range of motion, it means that one or more of the muscles that cross the axis are potentially weak. And with the, being able to perform manual muscle testing, I could test to determine which muscles were weak, get those muscles activated. And then the end result of an MAT session is you melt the ice. When you provide a sense of stability, i.e. activate muscles, um, the body, all the protective tightening goes away. And, and so it literally changed everything I did as a practitioner. And from that point forward, I've never stretched or done anything um, to, 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 to try and forcefully increase range of motion on clients. When we were together in person recently, you were so kind to walk me through a bit of your, the, the MAT assessment. Um, I know our time was limited, but it was completely fascinating just the different checks and balances that you kind of put in together. And so could you explain what is, what is muscle activation techniques? Um, you've talked a little bit about how you developed it, but yeah. um, what I would really, I think what we would really love to dive deep on as well is, you know, would you define it as a, a rehabilitation method? Is it a performance enhancer, all of the above, or is it something else entirely? Yeah. And, and I would say it's all of the above. Uh, but people um, get to me because they're injured. Somebody doesn't say I'm healthy and I want to get treated through muscle activation technique. So, and that's, I mean, I've trained a few thousand people across the country, trainers and therapists that perform MAT and, and they, we don't get clients because people are unhealthy. I mean, because people are healthy, we get them because they're unhealthy. So they typically it's pain and injuries that cause people to, to come see us. And, and so the first stage is um, why, I mean, the, when you have muscle inhibition, the force tolerance levels of the muscles decreases. And the best way that I can say it is like you have a you have a sprained ankle. It's like you try and walk on it and you can't put any pressure on it. It's not because the ligament got damaged. It's because the supporting muscles that are surround it, that surround the joint, got so inflamed that they're so weak that they can't tolerate the force of body weight anymore. And so there's an inverse relationship between mechanoreception and nociception and basically muscle function and pain. 
And when you have injuries, the inflammation negatively affects the sensitivity of the muscle spindle, uh, which in turn provides information to the nervous system about forces and rate of length changes and rate of length change or rate of change of length and tissue. And so um, the sensory receptors, i.e. mechanoreceptors, get desensitized when you have inflammation. And the nociceptors, your pain receptors, get sensitized. So there's an inverse relationship between mechanoreception and nociception or muscle function and pain. So when you put force on tissue, your force tolerance levels become lower when, they, when they've been irritated or injured. And so it takes less physical stress to create a pain response. But the first sign of neuromuscular weakness is protective tightening. The second sign, if you keep trying to force range of motion or put the body in the ranges under load, that they're unstable and the body shouts out in pain saying, fix the problem. Don't quit doing this until you fix the problem. So if you think of that sprained ankle uh, and you, oh, after a day or two, you can put more pressure on it. And then a week you're walking normal. And then a couple of weeks you start to jog. MAT does that immediately because it's these altered communication pathways that um, inflammation creates these altered communication pathways so that the muscles just can't fire and fire on demand. So it's like having loose battery cables. And so the goal of MAT is to identify where these altered communication pathways are, and then through manual hands-on stimulation or isometric contraction, you can get those muscles activated and it's literally tightening battery cables. Then the muscles can fire and fire on demand and immediately their force tolerance levels increase. When their force tolerance levels increase, the range of motion, the protective uh, mechanisms go away. So range of motion improves. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, I can walk on this ankle now. It doesn't hurt. So the changes, that, the neurological changes that could take weeks to happen can happen, I mean, immediately. And the older the people get and the more dysfunctional they are, the lower their threats, their stress tolerance levels are. Um, sometimes they never get out of it. They sprain an ankle and they never heal. It's because they're in this chronic state of inflammation and they can never get into the healing state of inflammation. So it literally uh, basically reprograms the muscle system. So it goes from, from people coming to see us because they're injured, which is due to this neuromuscular dysfunction, and we get the muscles activated, the protective tightening and, and for, uh, pain levels start to go away, and then their force tolerance levels become higher. So now they can go exercise. Because every time they were exercising, they would break themselves down. So they, then they weren't motivated to go exercise anymore. Now they can go reinforce it. The same way you would jumpstart the car on your battery. If you drive it, it reinforces it. Once you get the muscles activated, then if you, as long as you stay within the tolerance levels of the muscles, everything's going to continue to make those muscles stronger. But as soon as you exceed the force tolerance levels, negative things happen. You have more inflammation and, and, um, and a greater problem. So it, it really goes back to um, you have to jumpstart the muscles first, then you can exercise. And one of the phrases I've used in, in some of the courses that I, I would teach in the fitness industry is there's no such thing as corrective exercise. Because corrective exercise, exercise doesn't correct this neuromuscular dysfunction. Uh, I mean, if you identify the weaknesses and do isometrics, that would be the form of, of exercise. But otherwise, you have to identify the weaknesses, reestablish the communication, i.e. tighten battery cables, reestablish the communication between the nervous system and the muscle system. Then the muscles can fire and fire on demand. Now you can go exercise, and as long as you don't overdo it, you'll continue to get stronger. But if those muscles are inhibited and inflamed and you try and, over, try and exercise at even a low level, you run on a sprained ankle, you're going to break it down faster. And so you got to basically jumpstart the muscles before you can actually train them. And otherwise, in any of the exercise that we do, the strong get stronger and the weak stay weak. And those exercises end up magnifying the imbalances. Yeah, you know, your your methodology completely blurs, I, I would say, the traditional boundaries between strength training and rehab. You mentioned earlier in our chat of, you know, someone would get injured, they would go to the athletic training room and then they would get back into the strength room. So there I'm curious, no, when you, when no you, relationship. right, right. So when you begin working with a new client, such as the 49ers, what are the key questions that you pose to the strength staff versus the athletic training staff versus the athletes themselves to help tailor your approach? Yeah. And I, I think the main thing is understanding their history. 
because I, I say everyone has a history and, and the, the body has a memory when you have injury. And if you've never gone, if no one's ever gone in and literally reestablished neuromuscular communication, there's always there's always going to be deficits in, in neuromuscular function. Uh, so you may say, hey, I'm back sprinting and, and doing everything and playing. I mean, playing a pro sport like the, the 49ers or the, or the Broncos and, and you, they can play at a high level. But because there's certain areas of vulnerabilities due to prior injuries, it could be ankle sprains, sprained knees, um, I mean, any type of trauma, um, the stress, the stress tolerance levels get lower. And so the muscles just, they're, it's like working at half mass. They're not working at the highest level. So like I said, then the, uh, everything you do, the strong gets stronger and the weak stay weak. So the body has to compensate for those weaknesses. And, and the nice part is, is athlete, athletes are strong. They, they're, they're great compensators and they'll compensate for their weaknesses. But there's a certain point in time as the athletes get older and they have accumulation of injuries, like a, like a gymnast, that's why their careers end at 22, 25 years old, is because they start getting injured and then they sacrifice mobility because the protective mechanism. Now a, a sport like gymnastics that requires strength through great ranges of motion, they no longer have that and they start trying to force ranges of motion on the body that it no longer can withstand. And then their careers end up, I mean, they end up one injury after another and then their career's over at an early age. So the body has a memory. And if you don't go in and reprogram that, those, I mean, basically rewiring a house. If you went in and bought a house from 1920 and it's like, man, it's been, I mean, all dusty and locked up for years. You're going to go in and you're going to rewire everything, get the electrical circuits working. That's really what MAT is doing is just re, I mean, cleaning off the corrosion on the battery cables and, and tightening the battery cables and getting all the information pathways functioning at optimal levels. And I mean, one of the things about MAT and then the process, I mean, just I mean, physiology is every muscle or division of muscle has its own set of battery cables. It has its own communication pathways uh, with the nervous system. I, I mean, they have their own nerve roots and I mean, I mean, nerve connections with the central nervous system. And so we just want to make sure that all those pathways are, are open and clear so that muscles can fire and fire on demand. So over time, some of these athletes appear to be like that 1920 house that <laughs> they, they got all this corrosion and certain joints don't move. And, and the greatest thing about it is that muscles move bones and muscles hold bones in proper alignment. So when you go through a range of motion assessment, it's like, oh, I can't turn my head to the right, but I can turn my head to the left. The reason you can't turn the head to the right isn't because the left rotators are tight. It's because the right rotators can't contract efficiently, so they can't fully shorten. So the left rotators show up as being tight. And it's like, so a range of motion assessment is the greatest tool that we have as MAT practitioners. I always say, I don't care what you can do. I want to know what you can't do, because what you can't do is breaking you down. So if I can't turn my head to the right, or if I can't rotate my arm, my humerus back into external rotation, or, or I don't rotate my core as far to the left as I do to the right, that's telling me the muscles that do that aren't working efficiently. And, and that's the body's history. And, and I tell you what, I've seen some of the top level athletes come in and they have great motion. I actually, I, I taught my courses to um, Cirque du Soleil. Um, up in up in Montreal at their main facility, they had all the physical therapists from all their shows across the world. This was about ten years ago. They brought in the physical therapists, and I taught them the MAT program and the process. And I had to demonstrate on the Cirque du Soleil. They, they're artists, not athletes. They call them artists. I had to demonstrate on the artists, and I said, if this process ha ever had flaws in it, it's going to show up in Cirque du Soleil because they're the most hypermobile people you'll ever see. But even those people, when they had injuries, they, like I had one person that had a shoulder that he couldn't hold someone over his head. And I go through range of motion, great range of motion. Then I get him down by his body, and, I mean, in neutral position, and he had no inter or no external rotation of his humerus. And those are the teres minor and lower division of the infraspinitis. He got up in the superior division of the infraspinitis, had great ranges of motion in, in external rotation. And I was like, wow, even though as mobile as they are, there's certain areas that dictate where their where their dysfunctions are. And those dysfunctions are dictated by limitations in range of motion. Once you identify the limitations of range of motion, then you can test the muscles that move you into those positions 
get those and find the weaknesses, get those muscles activated. And then all of a sudden the guy's arm went all the way out like 90 degrees in external rotation. So now he had mobility and stability and he was back to it performing um, that week. And I was like, wow, this, these principles are true from the tightest, oldest, most dysfunctional people to the highest elite level athletes you'll ever see. The principles stand true across the across the board wherever you see a limitation in range of motion is telling you that the muscles that move you in that position unless there's some structural deviation the muscles that move you into that position are not able to do their job to move the bones the way the structure dictates that the bones should be able to move so so Greg, when i'm listening to you here i think i think i said at the beginning of this podcast we're all about strength kindness and perspective and you're giving us some incredible perspectives i think what you're saying is it's all about strength is that is that what i'm hearing Yes. Well, neuromuscular integrity and neuromuscular integrity is, I mean, is strength. And the interesting thing is it's, it's a, it's a catch 22 because it, when you have inflammation, inflammation negatively affects the contractile ability of the slow twitch muscle fibers. The slow twitch muscle fibers are the muscle fibers that provide stability. They're the ones that can contract beyond our conscious control. They need the least amount of, they have the lowest threshold to activation so they have the lowest threshold to activation. They contract beyond our conscious control to stabilize joints and protect us from injury. But when you exceed your strength, i.e. force tolerance levels to create inflammation, that's what kind of causes the, this problem. So if you're weak um, or you're more vulnerable. So if your muscles are, are, are weak, um, you're more vulnerable. And I had a guy that would, was coming to see me, he was training with a, a local trainer, a good friend of mine. And, um, he was said, I'm doing 75 crunches a day. And he would come in and I mean, every week or every couple of weeks. And he goes, every time I come in, my core is shut down and I eat weak and he couldn't turn, couldn't side bend and his core would be shut down. Says so I do 75 crunches three times a day. And all I said to him, I said, have you ever seen a muscular marathon runner? And he said, no. And I said, well, you have endurance, but you don't have strength. And if you see, I'll just show, I mean, I have all this exercise equipment behind me and literally to challenge tolerance levels to, to, to like uh, literally, if we go back to spinal rotation, that guy is a client that I now use and I challenge him on different movements, spinal flexion, spinal rotation, spinal sidemen. We do exercise and I want to make sure that his body can tolerate forces. And now he's strong. And he never comes in with his core shut down anymore. He does his own training. He plays golf all the time. And we've made sure that his core muscles are strong so they can tolerate forces so that then you don't have the inflammation that alters the timing relationship. So it's a slow twitch muscle fibers that are negatively affected by inflammation and cause the protective tightening and pain. But it's the strength levels, which are the opposite, the force production capabilities that we would correlate with our fast twitch fibers that need to be stimulated on a regular, regular basis. So cardiovascular training alone is not the answer. And now they're looking at sarcopenia as the aging syndrome. Sarcopenia is basically muscle wasting due to muscle weakness as we get older. And they're coming out and recognizing that we need to get stronger as we get older. And if we can maintain our strength levels as we get older, we can, we can prevent disease. Basically, our force tolerance levels will be higher, so we'll have less inflammation, and inflammation is the common denominator behind every disease out there. So if your muscles are always getting, if muscle tolerance levels are always getting exceeded, then you're always going to be in a state of inflammation. If you're in a state of inflammation, whatever you're genetically predisposed to from a disease standpoint, those genes will be expressed, and then you get sick and you die. <laughs> and so exercise is the cure-all for everything as long as you prepare your body to handle the exercise. You got to jumpstart the muscles and tighten the battery cables first so that now exercise is no longer a stress and you actually get the positive effects. Because if exercise is a stress, it's part of the aging process. It's part of what's killing people, which is contradictory to anything you would ever think. Yeah. So, so let me just pick up on that because obviously you're lucky enough that you work with all these top teams and athletes, etc. But um, on this podcast is that, sure, we're going to have chiropractors, physical therapists, strength and conditioning coaches in our community and all WellCo listening to this. But what we're then hoping is that their clients, their actual, you know, people who are coming to visit them are going to be listening to these podcasts too. Young professionals are going to be listening to this. If you took it just to an everyday person, so, you know, 
I'll happily tell you I hit a new decade last year. Um, I'm not quite at the sarcopenia yet. I'm still working on it. But if you were giving you know somebody three basic functional exercises that every human should do on a daily basis as some sort of preventative measure for these potential imbalances, possible injuries, what would you recommend them to do? Yeah, there's a, the, I got that in the list of, of questions and it's, then there's a catch 22 to this one. And, and I think I'm, I'm, uh, I end up, um, uh, going against the grain on, on a lot of things just because of what experiences showed me. Like I said, every time I would stretch or get deep tissue massage, I couldn't get out of bed the next day because I'd have numbness and sciatica into my big toe. And, and what I realized is, uh, we were violating the protective mechanisms. And that would be like me giving you a muscle relaxer and say, uh, go walk on ice and take away all your protective mechanism. You'd stride out, you'd slip and fall, and you'd injure yourself. So the protective mechanisms are, are there for a reason. And so, um, and I, so I evaluate on a day-to-day -day basis what, if you put force on the body, how do you know? How do you know if it had a positive or negative effect? And the nice part is through manual muscle testing, you can actually tell, oh, wow, that didn't shut anything down. And so we can stretch his hamstrings every day uh, because it doesn't cause inhibition. But man, when I stretched him into that rotational movement, man, every all his spinal rotators that seated the threshold and all of those went weak. That caused more protective tightening and, and eventually potentially more pain. So the, my biggest question is, how do you know? And it's a very tough thing to give, like I said, even corrective exercises or, or exercises that without an evaluation. People will call me up and say, hey, what should I do for my knee? And I have, I have a, my knee hurts when I'm walking downstairs. And I, and I tell them, unless I evaluate you, I have no idea because I need to know where your individual weak links are. And understanding the integrated system, how the foot, the ankle, the knee, the hip, all the way to the occiput are interrelated, um, like I said, if you have increased stress in one joint or tissue, it could stress, I mean, tissues all the way up through what, the myofascial chain. What, what you're saying here, Greg, I think I'm hearing is that professional advocacy, education through professionals who are well-trained to work with clients is actually vital for people to get the right results. Without that level of education, without that level of support, and we, we, like to, we don't like to call people professional ambassadors or influencers, we like to call them professional advocates because we believe they've done training, they've got to this level. So what you're saying, you're almost giving a backup for the community that we're building, that we're trying to encourage them to get even further educated because they can then determine the right three exercises rather than seeing it on a fitness video where it says, do this here, because that's not right for everyone. Right. And, and, and the, the interesting thing, like I said, I was a functional movement range of motion specialist. And I was working in pro sports and I just did a podcast with John Stockton last week. He, he has a, a podcast that he does in, in with another ex-pro athlete. And, and we were talking about the first day I met him. And I, I mean, I met him at a wedding and he asked me to evaluate him like that night, midnight, the night of the wedding. We're evaluating him on a pool table. I'm assessing his range of motion. And I had him stand up, and I'm a functional movement specialist at that point. Had him stand up, try and squat in one leg, and his knees diving in, his hips kicking out, and he couldn't balance. And I'm thinking, this guy's a professional athlete. And he had, at the time, he had Achilles tendonitis, patella tendonitis, and a bulging disc. And they were treating all three of those injuries as they were an isolated issue. And I was the first one that said, this is all interrelated. And look how your knee falls in and you're prone, you're pronated, your knees diving in, your hips kicking out. And that's putting increased pressure on your disc. Your patellofemoral symptoms come out and or patella tendon issues come out. And, and all of these different um, issues were going on. And it's like, so if I gave him functional exercises, he pronated just when he stood up. Posture is a position where we all start, where, where all movement starts from. If we start from a bad position, we can never get in a good position. So if due to muscular imbalances, that's when I really started correlating once I learned in muscle testing, is due to isolated muscle weaknesses, you can have instability at one joint and you could literally, someone could stand up in a pronated position. And now we say, we're going to give you functional exercises where you're standing, starting from an abnormal position. And so your foot's already pronated. You have a knee valgus position before you even start the move. And like I said, if you, I mean, posture's a position where all movement starts from. If you start from a bad position, you can never get in a good position. So what would be considered a functional exercise could reinforce the dysfunction. 
So what I had to do was take him a step back and I was range of motion. Then I had to increase his range of motion. He, he was limited in ankle dorsiflexion, which was causing him to pronate more in his foot the minute he stand up, just stood up just to get his heel on the ground, cause the valgus stress at the knee joint, causing the more patella tendon and then transferring up to the disc. I mean, hypothetically, we can show how all of this is interrelated and why he had all of these injuries, but functional training wasn't going to be what was going to help him. We had to take care of the isolated parts. And early in the industry, people used to tell me, well, you can't treat people and fix things on the table and have it transfer into everyday activity like that when, once they're on the ground. And once you're on the ground, everything changes. When the foot's on the ground, everything changes. From a very, I mean, one of my greatest mentors was Gary Gray, who I learned that from over 35 years ago. I mean, when the hits the ground, the shit hits a fan, basically, is what he said. And, and it does. And if you have imbalances, um, then every, I mean, it, it changes. So you can, if you address these isolated weaknesses, then follow it up with functional training. It's the best thing you could ever do. But if you don't address these isolated issues and you try and strengthen inhibited muscles through functional movement, the strong get stronger and the weak say weak. So to give functional exercises is a difficult thing unless I was be able to evaluate somebody, find out where their imbalances are, correct those imbalances, and then say, now here's what I want you to do on your own from a functional standpoint. I'm going to take Andy's question and spin it somewhat differently now from the data side of things. So it, there's so much data out there. There's so much information out there. It's, it's really easy to get bombarded um, today, just, just information overload. What do you think... Um, are the key metrics we should start with or pieces of information that someone should focus on if they're really aiming to achieve their best physical self? Where should they start? Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the things that I can talk about about when we talk about chronic inflammation and force tolerance levels is um, the uh, recovery is the most important part of exercise. And I mean, inflammation has gotten such a bad rap but inflammation, the end result of an inflammatory response is healing and growth and repair of tissue. And the problem is, is from a general standpoint, most people, because their force tolerance levels are low, they can't tolerate the forces they put on their body on an everyday basis, and they show up chronically inflamed, they're basically overtrained. Even though they, I mean, everyday activity can put certain people in an overtrained state. And that's why they're chronically inflamed. So they never get out of the acute slash chronic state of inflammation into the healing state of inflammation. So, I mean, if you look up the symptoms of fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue, those are neuromuscular weakness-based disorders. If you look up the symptoms, they're the exact same symptoms of fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue. Um, oh, I mean, I'm sorry, overtraining. So fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue have the exact same um, sim symptoms from irritability, you can't sleep, digestive issues, um, um, chronic aches and pains. I mean, overtraining and those neuromuscular di disorders or inflammatory-based disorders carry the same sim symptoms. And so recovery is one important factor. People are overdoing it. They need to allow their body to get out of that acute slash chronic state into the, into the healing state. I had a, a, a traumatic brain injury seven years ago. Uh, another learning, biggest learning experience I could have imagined secondary to having my fractured vertebrae. And I was in, I mean, literally, I was in Craig Hospital at Spinal and, and, um, and Spinal Cord and, and Brain Injury Clinic here in, in Colorado. I had to relearn how to walk. And I lost a week of my life. I don't remember a week of my life. And I had spent a month in Craig Hospital, had to relearn how to walk. And I was in, I mean, you hear about CTE and football and and what these, I mean, what it does to, I mean, the, the personalities and emotions of someone. And I, I was irritable. I could be telling you this story at the time and I'd start crying. I couldn't control my emotions. Um, there were a lot of things that I didn't understand. I saw the movie Concussion and I was like, I've been in pro sports at the time for 20 years and I've never seen this. And now, then I lived it. And um, so it was another learning experience. And, and um, well, as I had to relearn how to walk and my fatigue rate was very high and then my oxidative capacity, I mean, I, I was just fatigued. I walked my daughter to down the road one day and I needed a two hour nap later on. And, and so I, I went to a complete state of neuromuscular dysfunction. 
and and realized I needed I needed time to recover and heal or I needed to be put back together so that I could. So I had greater force tolerance level so I could recover and heal. Well, the interesting thing is, as I'm going through all this, that's when I started learning about with uh, I got with put together with the brain group uh, called Neuropeak and uh, worked with them. And, um, and ironically, through Kyle Shanahan and Mike Shanahan, they they recommended me. They said, we work with them with the 49ers and have the doctor that developed this program. And I, they set me up with him personally. And they exposed me to all of this data now. And and the, the heart rate variability and breathing, I mean, just understanding the, the components of breathing and what that has, the impact that has to do on, on mental focus and mental control. I mean, those are two great factors. And then I did the neurofeedback and I was actually, I have a system here in my office where I can measure brain activity. And so I can measure brainwave activity. And it started correlating that when I was broken down neuromuscularly, my brain activity was horrible. Like, and, and then that carried over into my emotions and I was irritable and, and um, emotionally unstable. Then I would get my muscles activated and then all of a sudden the, my brain activity would normalize and, and then I, um, and then I no longer was emotionally unstable and, and my body was functioning. And so I would say it was tying together with some company doing neurofeedback and looking at brain activity. There's, they have portable devices, I think, that are great. Uh, I have them with me or I have them. I can travel with them and everything. But then HRV, uh, the, knowing when to recover. Uh, those are the two main factors that, that I look at. Uh, I know there's a lot of information out there and I get overwhelmed by it all, but those are two main factors that I know when I'm off and I know when I need to take a break. And I know, okay, through all the work that I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis, you know what? HRV is not in a good place, so today's a recovery day and respecting it. Um, because like I said, on a, on a normal basis, most people are overtrained. And as we get older, we're more and more overtrained because our bodies can't tolerate the forces we used to, but people don't want to accept that. And so that would those that would be the start. I mean, you can measure blood glucose. Now there's the devices that you can measure blood glucose. And um, I think that that has a valid place also because it tells you when your system's stressed. And then knowing what to do with the information is the biggest key. And what to do typically is when the numbers are off, let your body recover. Don't don't go and do more. Go and do less. <laughs> it's really, it's really interesting, Greg. Just, just as an aside, tomorrow I'm actually getting my EEG results tomorrow. I yeah. just, because I went and got my heart fixed, and, and but that wasn't actually my problem. I had all the emotional problems that you're talking about. Really, um, I would cry at anything. I still do. Um, mm -hmm. I've had a full MRI. Um, as you can imagine, I was a soccer player, so I got back when I got concussed. They put smelling salts under your nose and told you to get back yeah. out there with a wet towel. Right. Um, so I don't know whether it's related to that, but it's 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 fascinating that uh, I've gone through all of this. I'm continuing to have these little mini blackouts that I get every sort of three to five, five to seven seconds that just appear for no no reason. I can't form any words, etc. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. I actually fixed my atrial fibrillation for the heart, but I haven't actually found out what is causing me the real uh, the real issue. So I find out my EEG tomorrow. I'm I've done all the bloods and etc. So yeah. That's probably something people who are hearing me that they're surprised about. Um, if I think you've probably just answered this question for me, people will probably be surprised to know that you had a traumatic brain injury. But is there is there anything else that that it's probably two things here? Is there something that you believe is true that lots of people don't agree with, or is there something people are surprised to know about you? You can kind of combine those two things. Yeah, I'll, I'll combine the two. Um, if I go back, I mean, years ago when I first, I mean, the, the PTA, PTA on the net at the time, PTA Global, and I yeah. first met that, that whole group. And I remember that day I had a woman, and I have her on video in my courses, and that day I had a woman that she came in, and she was a diabetic with a kidney transplant. I mean, she was dysfunctional. And she said that she, I mean, like at Christmas time, she couldn't get up from the ground. She had to have her grandkids help her, help her up. And and so I had her do that in, in my office, try and stand up. And she's holding onto the table, using everything she can to try and stand up. Got her muscles activated. And literally, I have a before and after picture of her when she shut down versus when she's activated. And um, then I had her stand up when the muscles were activated and she stood right up and didn't need to lean on the table or use artificial support. And it's like, that's just that firing and the fire on demand. But she told me that she had stretched three times a day. 
And um, so I had her go. So I had her so she could stand right up. And all, like I told you, it's about force tolerance levels. And so I didn't even videotape her the first time. But then once I had her her strong, um, I had her go through her daily stretching. It was a 10 minute routine or whatever. I said, just do the stretches you do. And then I had her try and stand up again and she couldn't stand up. And so all of them, uh, all that stretching, then I tested and all the muscles that I treated shut down and, and they were inhibited. So her force production capabilities decreased. And so I remember that um, we were out with the group from, from PT on the net and uh, Richard Boyd was sitting there talking and I go, and I literally said it. And I was adamant. It's like stretching can kill people. And he goes, did you hear what you, I mean, are you listening to what you're saying? And it, it kind of blew him away. But, but when, now that I understand it more, I mean, I watched this lady go from full, from dysfunction to full function back to dysfunction. And the first thing that I had her do was stop stretching. And it's not, and, and it's not the saying is stretching's bad, but how do you know? In that case, it, because her force tolerance levels were so low, I mean, if you stretch every day, that's overtraining. You're putting force on the tissues that your body can't tolerate, and she was overtraining. I had her stop stretching, and I could say, and then I use that as an example, that it could have been my treatment because I could get her activated, but the fact that she stopped stretching and putting the forces on her body every day that it couldn't tolerate, she, I mean, improved so quickly and so dramatically. And, and so uh, it's something that I get classified as is, oh, you're the guy that doesn't like stretching. And it's like, no, I don't like forces placed on the body that the body can't tolerate. Exercise is a force on the body. And if you can't tolerate, it's going to have negative effect. Uh, stretching, foam rolling, dry needling, deep tissue work, every force, every force related modality. Um, we have to ask the question is, how does our body tolerate that force? And if it can tolerate the force, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. If it can tolerate it, then you're continually getting stronger. That's what athletes can do. Athletes, they can get off my table and hop on the table next to it and get stretched and get up and go and practice and have a great day. The 50-year-old diabetic with a kidney transplant can't. And then the question is, how do you know and how do you differentiate between the athlete, this continuum of a high-level athlete to all the way to the most dysfunctional person there is? How do you know what they can tolerate and how do you know what's good for somebody may not be good for somebody else? And that's what's great about MAT is having the tools to assess that. Then what people don't know about me, Annie, is, is I don't eat vegetables. <laughs> and as, as much as I've been in the health industry and everything, I don't eat vegetables. And um, I'm never liked them. It's not because uh, I don't want to, or I just have never liked them. So I used to try and eat a Caesar salad here and there. As well. fruit is, that, is that fruit as well? Or is it just vegetables? You know, it's I like fruit, but I don't. I'm a main course eater, so I, I eat fruit once in a great while, um, yeah. and I do like it. And like when we go to Hawaii or something, and when it's accessible, most of the time it's just not as accessible for me. Uh, but there's a, I mean, the, uh, I mean, I don't like anything green on my plate. <laughs> so, That's so, funny. And then the best part about that is my uncle just turned ninety. He's his birthday was two day after my. I had I turned sixty on May third. My brother turned sixty one, and my uncle oh, turned. Welcome. So we all went down to Florida for his 90th birthday. And my mom told me the week we were preparing to go down is my your, your uncle Don doesn't eat vegetables. He's never eaten vegetables. And I'm like, that gives me justification. Yeah. <laughs> I can live till I'm 90 also. That's <laughs> but, brilliant. Hey, just um, you mentioned earlier about Gary Gray, and I think you and I are both fans of, of Gary. I'm yes. around that. Um, in terms of other than him, who inspires you? And have you got a favorite podcast? Yeah, so so early on, inspiring me in my career, Gary Gray, I mean, he kind of took me under the wing because back then he was only teaching physical therapists, and there was an athletic trainer that worked for him and myself that were the only non-physical therapists that he had through his courses and got to know him well, would go to dinners with him after courses. And, I mean, he had biggest in, in one of the greatest inspirations in my career. Uh, Richard Jackson uh, was a physical therapist I worked with in Fresno, California, who taught classes in um, biomechanics across the country and pelvic girdle mobilizations and, and lumbar spine mobilization technique. And they were, they opened me up to understanding biomechanics. Uh, after learning from Richard Jackson, that made me seek out someone like Gary Gray and one of the best moves I ever made. 
And, um, and then Craig Bueller exposing me and working with him directly for 10 years with the Utah Jazz. And I mean, we would, we would, butt heads and arguments because I'd test muscles at the end ranges, which were um, where I would see the weaknesses and the tests for clinical kinesiology are a more mid range. And he'd say, well, that's not the test. And I'm like, but the weak here and, and we'd have arguments, but the, it challenged my learning and experience and, and um, motivated, motivated me to get better. Even that thought of what did you just do that uh, haunted me like, oh my God, I'm supposed, I'm, I'm hired in pro sports and I'm supposed to be helping people and making someone we can't be a good thing. Like it just didn't make sense. And, and so that gave me the tools and gave me the direction to change everything I knew up to that point through the Gary Grays and the Richard Jacksons that I practiced that got me hired in pro sports. I was working in with the Utah Jazz and the Denver Broncos as a biomechanics, range of motion, functional movement specialist, not even knowing the principles of MAT at the time. And on the, on the, on the fly, as I learned it and started experiencing the changes, I made a hundred percent change in what I do um, and shifted over to the tightness of secondary to weakness. I'm going to focus on the weakness, get the muscles activated, the tightness goes away. And it's been, now we've got trained therapists and uh, across the country. So early on, those were the biggest influences. Um, I've been uh, kind of isolated over the years as I put this whole MAT program together. And I think the the anti-aging, the sarcopenia um, realms, the, 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 the directions um, that have gone since then. So, um, and um, I mean, Anthony Robbins, Robbins has a whole group of, of people that he's working with on this aging and, and, and looking at sarcopenia. And, and so it's their, their podcast, um, yeah, my mind's blank. And, um, but it's, it's a group, that group of podcasts that, that it's like they're, they're down the field I want to go. And I'm always thinking, where does the muscle system fit in all of this? And, and I look at it, you can reduce inflammation by improving neuromuscular integrity. So I believe MAT has a role um, in preventing sarcopenia and MAT has a role in, in anti-aging. And, um, and I, I'm going to pick on you now, I'm going to pick on you now. Sorry for interrupting, but I'm going to pick on you now because when I was doing this research with you and I mentioned the word kindness, you laughed at me and you said, I don't show any kindness. Personally, everything I've heard in this podcast shows nothing but kindness for other I'm people. I'm an angry person. <laughs> no, but you're talking, even though you've been through your brain injury and stuff, I fully understand all of that, but everything you're doing is what I'm hearing is in isolation. You're thinking about that person as that person, not as a group of people, etc. You're showing kindness to them. So mm. this podcast, we really wanted to make it about kindness and promoting each other, etc. So if you had to give one person a shout out, just one person that you wanted to help a fellow professional or somebody's doing something good, who would you shout? Who would you give a shout out today? I, I mean, I, I think the the uh, it, it's kind of loaded. Um, because I've had an uh, Im impact and influence on, 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 that, on so many people that have, have crossed my, my path through different modalities and coming in through the MAT process and, and clients that come in. And um, I mean, I think the, the biggest thing is when I see sick people. Um, I mean, I, I've worked with athletes, the highest paid, highest level athletes in, in the world. And I get more satisfaction of... Um, of the clients that come in like that woman, the diabetic with the kidney transplant, where you're changing their everyday life and they're able to function on a day-to-day -day basis as opposed to go making millions of dollars playing a sport. I get more joy and reward from that. And, and so over the years, um, I, I think as, as we talk today about this, um, I, I have a client, I, I don't want to bring the name in there, but who had prostate cancer and had to go through all hormonal changes or hormonal um, implant, whatever injections and everything, and uh, had zero production of testosterone and watched him go through and through my exercise program and literally get stronger through this whole battle with chemotherapy and, and radiation and, and watched him get stronger. And, 
and and now he's healthy no i mean um in remission no no symptoms or anything and now getting stronger has normal production of just testosterone because testosterone feeds prostate cancer and so they had to get it out of his system and and so when not mentioning his name but him as a business professional that i respect to death would be first one and then uh, my my wife's uh, mother went through she had cancer for the past year and so kind of uh, together, my wife, I mean, she did, we found a doctor through my clients and found a doctor here in Colorado. They lived in back in uh, Arkansas and she came out and got all her treatment by a high, um, I mean, a big name doctor out here that was referred to our clients. And now her mom is, is cancer free, uh, doing great. So my wife combined for taking her on or having us take her on and, and getting her healthy and seeing that now she's cancer free and I mean, back as healthy as can be. And then finally, yesterday I was at a funeral of a former player with the Broncos, Harold Hasselback, who died of, quickly of cancer and just, I'd say his family. I mean, seeing, I mean, 57 years old, being young, it happened in six months before you knew it. And just seeing it, someone biggest, strongest man I've ever met. And I mean, mentally and physically and have something like cancer take someone like that down and the effect it has on his family. And uh, so I would, I mean, want to shout out to that yeah, family man. after seeing, going through that and all the family that, and all the friends that supported the family through that. It was so great to see the support they had yesterday at, at the funeral. So I think yeah, yeah. I told you I could find kindness in you. I knew <laughs> I could find, I knew it was in there. Hey, Greg, so I'm a young up and coming professional. I'm really interested in the sports and fitness world. What, why should I, should I be excited to train and be an, an MAT specialist? You know, I, I tell you what, if you have a satisf satisfaction for helping people or having the opportunity to help people, uh, I, I mean, I see it every day and there's a lot of modalities and a lot of directions people can go if they want to be in the medical side. Um, uh, one of the things, I mean, I, like I said, I, I wouldn't have even went down the path of, of education if I didn't play sports and if I didn't work out. I love sports. I've been in pro sports for over 30 years. We're starting with the Utah Jazz, then the Denver Broncos, and I could never have dreamed that those opportunities would have come. And they've come from hard work, but they've come from, um, I mean, having, having the skills to be able to help people. And, and I think MAT, from a systematic approach, um, it lays it out. Like uh, sometimes we can look and say, oh, well, I think it's your piriformis. You watch somebody move and, oh, yeah, it's your adductors are tight and your gluteus medius is weak. And, and what MAT does is, bring, I mean, Gary Gray was brilliant. And I'd watch him and he'd say, and he'd see things in people and I'd go, you know, he gets it, he sees it, but I don't, I, I was, call me stupid, but I couldn't see it. Like I couldn't see what he saw. And um, so I needed to say, okay, I think this is going on. Now I've created the tools to be able to assess and say, well, you know what? I thought it was your gluteus medius, but it's actually your hip flat, your psoas minor or your iliacus minor or something like that. And by having the ability to test, it adds objectivity to our subjective evaluations. And, and to be able to systematically go through somebody's body and say, oh, man, you got patellofemoral syndrome and you don't rotate to the right um, and all of a sudden treat core muscles and their pain in their knee goes away. Or, or I swear to God, I had a, a friend of mine who we were on a trip to Cabo with and he golfs at a high level. He's, he's older than I am and he's golfing professionally at senior level and he had a frozen shoulder. And he's like, I'm supposed to start back competing. And, and literally, I have him sit up and turn. And he goes, oh, yeah, that kills my shoulder, his right shoulder, and turned the other way and had great motion. I treated trunk rotation and all the muscles that rotated his spine. He rotated about 20 degrees farther and, and lifted his arm over his head. And without even touching his shoulder, he ended up being able to get back playing golf. And, and so it gives you a, a, an approach that doesn't chase pain. We look at neuromuscular dysfunction. As an exercise physiologist, I can't. I don't have the license to diagnose or treat pain. I think the majority of your the people, at least the people that have followed me and that have come through through Idea PTN, and that aren't medical practitioners. So to have that opportunity from a medical professional standpoint to add 
a systematic, objective approach to the, the subjective work that they do. It's a great tool. But then to provide opportunity for people that understand and want to work with the muscle system and then want to work in, I mean, with all geriatric, pediatric, athletic, non-athletic, it doesn't matter. The rules are the same. The rules are the same from a neuromuscular standpoint. And wherever you see limitations in range of motion, it means that the muscles that move you there can't contract efficiently. And they're not, I mean, moving you the way that they're designed to move you. And you have the tools to be able to fix that problem. So, I, I mean, I, I, I shake my head every day and not because it's my program or anything, but because of what I see every day from how it can affect and positively affect people's life. And so if that's what people want to do from the general public to family members to sport and activities and being with the highest paid athletes out there, the opportunities everywhere. Because I've always said, who's MAT for? Anyone with a muscular system. Because life's going to beat us up. And from a neuromuscular standpoint, somebody has to be there to put you back together. And that's where we are with MAT. So, Greg, we're going to wrap up here in a second. But before we do, is there anything that you think we've missed or anything that you'd like to drive home further? I, I think that probably the biggest thing is that, um, I mean, we we come in that exercise is the cure-all for everything. And the answer is a health and that, and, uh, but exercise can be a stress. And, and I think Andy was saying that we, we have to up our, we, we have to up our level of knowledge as, as, um, exercise professionals to say, I mean, we have a responsibility to our clients because what if we're, what if we're contributing to their injury? What if we're contributing, contributing to their inflammation? Um, and, and probably in summary, when I used to sit in the, or, teach the courses at idea and there'd be a hundred people in a course. And I said, how many people in here have clients that have pain and all of them raised their hand. And I said, how many people in here have pain and 98% of them raised their hand. And I said, something's wrong with the industry. The industry isn't designed to make, create pain in people. The industry is designed to help people. And so if, if we, the majority of the people are out there having pain and the people that represent the industry are in pain, then we need to take a deeper look in the industry. And I think this is one of the options that you have to, to, um, start to, to change the industry. Well, Greg, thank you so much for your, your time today, just chatting with us. Yeah. You know, I mean, your expertise and the movement, I'll call it a movement that you've built is, um, is truly inspiring to follow not just for fitness professionals, but really for anyone interested in physical health and well-being. Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate you guys having me. Just quickly before you sign off, I hope today's conversation with Greg has enlightened and inspired you just as much as it has us. Stay tuned for more enriching discussions like this one in our future episodes. And if you're interested in learning more about MAT, visit muscleactivation.com for more details. If you're part of All Welco, Greg and his team are offering members 40% off the Jumpstart course. Just head to allwellco.com for your discount code to use on muscleactivation.com.